fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to FGGG. BT. Now, this is the show where we take your favorite fictional science and technology and we make it a reality. We've been doing that for a long time here, guys. I'm going to do a nice, soft, casual opening. I'm even going to cut to our three-shot early because this is this is our end-of-the-year episode where I want to get a little reflexive here, guys. We're just sitting around a nice fire, you know, discussing roasted marshmallows maybe, just discussing things of the past. And you may not be aware, but we've been doing this show for over five years and I think it's time we took a not only a look at ourselves and how we've grown, but how the show's grown. And maybe there are some unanswered questions that have kind of been gnawing at you, you know, kind of like a member of the Franklin Expedition would gnaw on the bones of his compatriots. Uh, <laughs> and if you don't know what we're talking about, listen to our, <laughs> sure. our previous episode. Uh, but hopefully we're not going to get that dark. But I'm sure there's there's things that we want to talk about. So. Ben, I know you've got something that's weighing. At least, at least you look like you got something weighing on your mind here. Uh, what do you What do you think? What do you, what do you, well, first of all, tell me what do you think about being on for five years? What do you, What do you think about that? You know, it's it, it's it's half a decade. Uh, Jeez, yeah, <laughs> we are going depressing uh, early. I I think I think it's <laughs> you know it's a fun it's a fun thing to do. You know, have have some friends put on a show together. And, you know, it, it never ceases to amaze me how we can always seem to come up with something fun to say about the topics at hand and always find new topics that uh, we have unique takes on. Mm -hmm. um, I, think, I think that's the greatness of our show is that we always have some very interesting thoughts and opinions about uh, what we come up with. Yes, sometimes they are more interesting than others. Uh, and sometimes they're scary and dangerous because, uh, Denny, you frighten me sometimes with, with stuff you come up with. Well, well, you know, there, there are a couple of things. First of all, I, I don't feel like I'm old enough for our show to have been running for five years, but that's a separate issue. Um, we know we we know my age. We've had a whole episode on my age and how I was going to either die or really you were going to prolong my life. And um, so, you know, there there is that. I also, you know, since we've decided to start off dark, um, you know, m many businesses failed during the pandemic. We did not. I mean, we were right. pandemic hardy. So, you know, in fact, in fact, I feel we, we, we brought joy to people during a dark time. So, you know, we were we were a light in the darkness, well, as they yeah, say. I, would, I agree with you. And I think that we actually became a better show during that time. We were able to see each other more, practice more. And, and I think the show's better for it. Yeah. And hopefully our audience feels the same way. But things could have gone very differently. Uh, ben, I know you've been thinking about this a lot and just how things could be different. So tell me, I know you've been doing a lot of inner reflection. What have you come up with? You know, just just like the fiber optics that I abhor, mm -hmm. you know, with their total internal reflections, I have totally internally reflected on my life, <laughs> um, especially after watching Everything Everywhere all at once again with some friends a few weeks mm -hmm. ago. And it really got me thinking about what is it about me that is unique in this multiversal Ben? Mm -hmm. You know, how did I get to where I am? And you know, you know, we just talked about how we all bring our unique perspectives to the show. You know, it makes me wonder with you guys about what is it that you think is you know what weird unique choices have you made to get to where you are in your lives? It's an interesting thought because I think a lot of what shapes us is kind of. Sometimes luck, right? I mean, I think we've talked about how 
human beings, when given a series of choices, will at any particular moment make that same choice again, right? So we're kind of molded by the past, and I think a lot of that is shaped by luck. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, traumatic childhood's probably, you know, my biggest influence. Uh, I don't know about you, Dan. I don't know about you. Well, actually, you know, it's interesting because um, I'm, I'm going to go the anti-dark route. It, it, it is something um, very, very sappy, um, but I, I shockingly um, am blessed to have had a great childhood. And I do think that has shaped a lot of who I am. I mean, we talk about these things. People often ask, how could I be so obnoxiously optimistic? Um, and I think that and by people, you mean me, it. right? Is that what you're referring to? Well, no, I actually other people have raised the same question, Dan. So you are not you're not the <laughs> uh, only one. <laughs> you are just okay. the most recent who's concerned by my optimism <laughs> in, in a long line of concerned folk. <laughs> um, but but but, you know, when you when you think about choices, it really is um, something I, I talk a lot about with students because they're at that point in their life where they're going to be making choices. Um, and I really do try and to your point about luck, uh, the, sort of the flip side of that is there's very few choices we make that are, I would say, as final as we're afraid they are, right? You know, students think like picking their major is this be-all and end-all. Um, but, but really, you know, so much of life happens after that. Um, and you have so many other choices after that. So, you know, I look at, 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 you know, my life and you would think choosing to be a physics major would not have led to a TV career. And yet it did. Mm -hmm. Right. So. But also a physics career. But also a physics career. No, no. That, yeah. That, I mean, let, let's not, come on. Well. Let's re <laughs> ben may be talking about all, a multiverse, but let's live in reality here, <laughs> You are still have a, you have a very illustrious physics Oh, yeah. Career and I well. do not deny that. And I appreciate it. But you would not have expected, um, right, that this is a path to ending up on TV, perhaps even Ancient Aliens streaming on Netflix, for instance. <laughs> Um, Perhaps. Having been one Which of you could the, watch now if you had, if you wanted to. You know, having been one of the number one shows on the History Channel for a while, right? Like, you know, right. I'm just right. throwing a few ideas out to the universe. Sure, but you know, I'm guessing to go to Ben's point here that that was there's a little bit of synchronicity there. Like there was maybe a little bit of luck. Maybe you, you know we kind of make our own luck, and maybe you were prepare opportunity meets preparation and all that, which I you know I believe in. But what if you what if you've been passed over um, for Neil deGrasse Tyson, let's say, and then all of a sudden he's on Ancient Aliens? Now his career would have gone in an entirely different direction. <laughs> yes, but probably downwards. <laughs> but, but, but who, who knows? He could have been a guy who got picked, right? But if they picked you, you know, what if they yeah. didn't? Well, you know, Dan, and and this is where I think you know you mentioned the, these unique characteristics, and I think this is what prepares us in different ways. I am shockingly willing to talk about crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. And not many physicists are. Um, right. And I do reflect on like where in my past um, did that come from? And I, and I really think it's playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out to the universe. Oh. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I will tell you, you know, I was joking about having a traumatic childhood. My childhood was fine. Everyone had a rough patches. I played a lot of D&D. &D. Um, but, you know, in some <laughs> ways, Denon, I have to... I have to disagree with just a little bit there where you say that not these decisions that we think mean a lot don't mean a lot. Sometimes that's true, but sometimes it isn't. I, there's been decisions that I've made. Oh, they mean a lot, Dan. They're just not final. Again, I would disagree. I think that there are okay. decisions that I've made that are definitely final, right? Like you have path A and path B. And if you choose path A, you can never get back to path B and your life 
completely changes. I have encountered more of those in my life than the ones where you think it's a big deal and it turns out that it's not. Mm. Ah, interesting. That's just me. And maybe that's what makes me unique is that I've been forced <laughs> down this path of misery. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe that's what makes me unique. Um, but, uh, you know, who knows? But I think it's an interesting question because I've often wondered, like, how could we make Ben different? And I think it would be just tweaking a couple things in his past, um, and maybe he would look a lot different. Uh, but, you know, speaking of looking a lot different, I think we can all agree that if you, we're old enough to know what a Polaroid is, yep. right? <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. All right. So one of the things that I was thinking about is going back to our Ghostbusters episode, they, uh, you know, there's a guy named Podcast who has a Polaroid, and that becomes kind of this kitschy, uh, retro thing, which made me instantly feel about 100 years old for the first time in my life. Uh, <laughs> but but it, Polaroids were really cool when I was a kid because it was an instantaneous photograph, right? Now we've got digital photos and it's no big deal. But in fact, the Polaroid, who, what my grandmother gave me an, an old camera back in the day, uh, these were amazing to me. I actually uh, did a research project where I had to take Polaroids of sea creatures and it, they turned out Absolutely horrible. Uh, I think I got it. I think that's like one of the low, lowest grades I've ever gotten was taking Polaroids of sea creatures. But nonetheless, again, traumatic childhood. I can't escape it. Uh, but but Ben, you were telling me how interesting and the the scientific uh, masterpiece that is film and that is the instantaneous Polaroid, which I'm going to spoil here, is a little bit like a ketchup packet. Yeah, it, it's a lot <laughs> like a ketchup packet. Uh, it, mm -hmm. I mean, film itself is... Now, ketchup or, or ketchup? Are you a ketchup or ketchup guy? Because I thought you just said ketchup, and I want to know what kind of man you are before you answer this question. Uh, well, uh, mustard, usually. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I like how you dodge that, Ben. Yeah, I like how you dodge that. But then you would ask spicy mustard or yellow mustard, and you know, we're <laughs> right on to the exact same problem. <laughs> and I did a whole lot of Fascinating Nouns episode on mustard, so if you are on the fence on what mustard you'd like, I'm going to put a link right above so you can find out where you are on the spectrum. But Ben, what is it about Polaroids that's like a ketchup packet? Yeah, well, so what's fascinating is you know, when you have the, the Polaroid packet, you have, first of all, the fact that it's a picture that works at all is, is fascinating. But mm -hmm. there's, the, there's the strip at the bottom of the picture that, is doesn't have picture on it, right? It's just this white strip and it has like little packety bits to it. If you feel, especially mm -hmm. on the back, if you feel it and yep. that's where it keeps the chemicals. That's where, that's how the picture in the end gets developed is because all the chemicals are in those packets and they get squeezed out as the picture gets pushed out of or pulled out of the camera through these rollers those chemicals get squeezed into the area where the, the picture itself is to go and develop the picture. It's just, it's a fascinating that there's basically a little, a mini chemical dark room right, yeah. is, is inside <laughs> of every single uh, Polaroid uh, picture, which is why each picture is so expensive. <laughs> <laughs> it's like goober spread, right? I mean, it's like peanut butter yeah. and jelly in the same package, yeah, which is a technological advancement in and of itself. Yeah, there's developer, there's stopper, and then there's also a chemical process that you, if you've ever watched a Polaroid develop, you, it starts out gray and then the picture appears. That's not, yes. that's not because you're watching the picture develop. 
you're watching the dark, the chemical dark room dissolve to reveal the picture. Because the, there's there's a chemical in, in the upper layers of the Polaroid that slowly reacts away so that the rest of the image can be protected while it gets developed. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. I, I think one of the best things about this is it, it, it not only has all the magic of photochemistry, light interacting with chemicals, chemistry, yeah. chemistry of chemicals interacting with, with chemicals, but mm. it has one of my favorite subjects, flow. Um, I mean, foam and the study of foam is all about how things flow. And you have to have these chemicals flow from a packet across the entire, um, you know, sort of Polaroid in in a very uniform way or you don't get a uniform picture. Um, this is a non-trivial physics problem. So, you know, the whole – the Polaroid contains almost all of interesting um, physics and chemistry in just one little square piece of paper. It's an amazing thing, Dan. Which is a gear-based technology, I believe, inside the, the mechanism and yeah. which is – gone the way of the dinosaur in some ways because we don't really use it at all but it was the peak of instantaneous photographic technology really i mean it's kind of sad when you think about it though i have seen um the young ones the kids as they say dad you know now right. that i feel old and you told me i'm over 100 um, <laughs> now a kid is a know. young human being that's what you mean right Exactly. Not right. not a goat. Right. Um, okay. The, the young sure. human beings seem to have been attracted to Polaroids. I see them occasionally at places like Disneyland where yes. people like it's become cool to use them again. And I think some people are realizing, you know, when you take a Polaroid, it doesn't immediately like transcend across the Internet and get you in trouble. There's a delay factor there. That's a safety <laughs> built in safety net. So there's some sure. advantage to the instant Polaroid versus the instant photo in your camera. Right, or you could just or take a picture phone. with of your of your on your phone and then put it all over the internet. But right, yeah, exactly. analog technology, the safety and security of it is is very important. Um, but you know, we all think safety and security is vital to our survival. Um, but we got you know, Den and I know you've been thinking about safety and security a lot as it relates to the world we live in. So what did you come up with? Well, you know, it's interesting. When I, when I was a, a young child applying to college, you know, this is I the wrote 1840s. This is why you're so obsessed exactly. with the technology of that period. technology. You know, right. I wrote a college essay about how space and colonizing space was going to be the key to our survival as a species. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, the, we talked about moments that change us. Ben, you brought that up. And, you know, and Dan, you mentioned the five year experience of this and how it's changed us. And one thing mm -hmm. I've realized is I think offshore cities. Are, are maybe a closer route to salvation. We're, we're a bit away from building um, the moon and Mars bases that I envisioned, you know, when I wrote that essay. Yeah. But I feel like we are a simple material science solution away from building an offshore city. Um, and, and I, you know, look, the dolphins look very happy. Um, and they made that transition as mammals back to the ocean, mm -hmm. you know, a long time ago. Right. Um, and we don't seem nearly as happy. We seem stressed. You know, life mm -hmm. is tough. So I do wonder about a transition back to the sea. Not very far. <laughs> Not talking deep sea. Offshore, you know, half underwater, half above water. Our undercity episode made me think of this. Okay. Right? A, a hybrid, you know, a hybrid city, you might say. Um, so you mean like, like, like buildings that are partially underwater and partially above water? 
Yeah, exactly. You know, well, we can't and breathe on we can't breathe underwater. Are you gonna wear scuba no, gear in your house? No, no. You have, that's why the building's enclosed. The the building doesn't have water in it, Dan. The well, building's you just gotta explain underwater. These you gotta explain these things to me. I'm not <laughs> yeah, sorry. Right. It's sort of like the toilet. You you drink out, you know, <laughs> right. out the bowl, the tank. Keep it right. simple for me. Seventh grade, eighth grade max. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But 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 it's an interesting. I mean, thought of leveraging um, explicitly the offshore ocean for lots of stuff by actually having the city there and then not having to transport it places. Um, so I, I don't know. It was just an intriguing thought for me. I mean, there's some problems. Uh, but look, if you do it now and you solve those problems, when Florida floods, you could still live there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, we talked about it, you know, building an entire city underwater. So I guess the first stages of that would be kind of committing to building half the city underwater. Yeah. yeah right. I, <laughs> and, and you could you have some safety factors built in because you have the part above water yeah. that presumably won't flood, right? And you still have you know you still have the air and you still have you know an easy air intake. You have light intake. You solve a lot of the challenges. You have to deal with the corrosive forces, mm -hmm, right. right? So there's a material science component, mm -hmm. but you get the seaweed farming, which I know Ben loves. Mm -hmm, yeah, um, <laughs> you know, and you possibly get some alternate energy sources using the ocean currents and other things, as we've discussed. Um, and you you go to a solar power, perhaps because you're offshore. Um, some wind. You get wind, water, and sun. Um, you know the three things we love. So this is really. The best of both worlds, literally, living in two things. I, I, I think it is. This, in some ways, is more like the goober spread of the living situation, right? Like you got exactly. both peanut butter and chocolate. Or Reese's peanut butter cup, even better. It's you the Reese's peanut butter cup peanut butter. of cities. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is if you consider living in the ocean peanut butter. Yeah. Well, but think how many people love ocean sports. And now you're right there. You don't have to drive to the shore. It solves the New Jersey problem. I grew up in New Jersey, right? And and uh -huh. and the shore, it, it it's a mess. It's crowded. It's hot. It's a pain to get there. Yeah. But what if your city is right there? Yeah. Well, and you also get lots of fun uh, wildlife to check out. You know, if, if we think back to the underwater, the hotels, Jersey Shore has plenty of wildlife to yeah. check out for sure. <laughs> you know, we we talked about the underwater hotel where you get to watch fish through the windows. You know, how fun would it be yeah. if your house you could just watch the fish or the the dolphins or, you know, maybe some sharks too, you know, right outside the door there. You know, it's it's fun. It'd be fun. And, and Dan, if we all move out there, you get more space here that's shark free. <laughs> I mean, I guess yeah. that's true. I don't like human beings. So moving them into the ocean. I mean, you're selling me on that part of it, Denon. Uh, and Venice, you know, Venice is, is a watered city, right? I mean, you got to take yeah. gondolas everywhere. But yeah. that seems like a pain in the butt. You know, we did that episode on Reminiscence where, the you know, it's a city that's half underwater there. It seems like a pain, right? Think of how many, you know, my my grandma, you know, uh, she's just calling and telling me about how they're redoing her roof in Florida. And when it rains, you know, they they've someone stuck their foot through the roof, of course, <laughs> and they got a big hole there and then it rains and then water comes in, right? We have a problem with rain, which happens occasionally if you have a leaky roof. Well, now you've got entire buildings underwater. What if one of them springs a leak? All of a sudden, now you've got to add drowning to the list of, of possible things that can kill us on Earth. Uh, Denon, I, I don't know. This seems poorly conceived uh, or at least well conceived, but I think the execution might be tricky. Oh, 
execution is key, but think how often we suffer these days, and even in the past, like you said, from flooding. I mean, there are whole places. Just pre-flooded. My, my, Just <laughs> you know, my, You'll my, never my, flood again, Denon. <laughs> exactly. My aunt and uncle lived in Houston, where basically every few years your house gets flooded and you have to rebuild. But here, the point is you design for the water environment. And, and we've solved that problem with our undersea episode, right? Right, sure. And, and I think that is the key, right? Right now, we view water as the enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what we want to do is embrace water as our friend. Like I said, embrace the dolphin decision and really make, make the design decisions that make you safe from the flooding. And that, yes, new material science, new design features, um, new anti-flooding um, uh, techniques, but it could be a really cool place to live done right. But you're right, Dan, it's all in the execution. And the engineering is is already. I, I think Dan, you mentioned having underwater areas. I think you should just do it on stilts and have the <laughs> underwater portion be your like boat garage. Uh, you know, don't don't try to hold the water back because I think that's that's a recipe for failure eventually. You know, just let's put everything on stilts and we'll be fine. Like the Louisiana <laughs> Bayou. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Or or Venice, for that matter. Venice is effectively oh, right. a city on stilts. Um, it's right. done a little differently. You know, it's more rock and weird old, you know, medieval <laughs> structures, but it's still yeah. there's nothing underwater there. It's just foundations. <laughs> yeah. I, can't, I mean, yeah, that seems to be the easy fix. Just make your foundation underwater and then keep the living quarters above sea level. I mean, I know that's a wild idea, Denon, but what do you think about that? No, you could do that, but I think you could still take advantage in, in some ways, Ben, to your point, of certain storage that doesn't worry about water damage, so in case there is a leak, you're okay. Um, you do get the underwater farming, and you could have some recreation areas. Again, you're not living there, so if it floods, you know, it's kind of like the park, you know, you repair it later, but, you know, you can go do some fun fish viewing, um, you know, and, and other interesting activities. So I think I, 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 there's lots of ways you can go. I say you're right. Start with living conditions only above water mm-hmm. as we, we master the technology. But I, I think you could eventually do a little bit more underwater than, than, than we fear. Well, so instead of putting a pool in your backyard, you would put a bool, pool in the basement. Exactly. Okay. All right, I'm start, I, I might be on board here, Denon. I'm not going to be first in line. I want to see how, how it, <laughs> the designs work um, because I like being living in a familiar place. Uh, but Ben, I know you've been kind of kicking around living in an unfamiliar place that's not mm-hmm. just the ocean, which is even more fam- less familiar to us than the land, but more familiar to us than outer space, let's say. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, Denon mentioned, you know, these long journeys to the shore, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the Jersey Shore. And I, and I you know, got mm-hmm. me thinking about... Which start- is like another planet, again. Which is, really- is like another planet. <laughs> and it got me thinking about what if we got trapped somewhere say on the other side of the galaxy and we were 70 years from home, like, like the brave souls on Star Trek, uh, on the Starship Voyager, uh, you know, and it's this fascinating thing. Cause you, they kind of had three choices when they, when they got stuck out there, they could either, you know, find the closest M class planet, you know, and build a new civilization or whatever there. Granted, they're, they're only like 150 people. So it's not much of a civilization, but you know, it's more like the Targaryen civilization, if you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, you could explore where you are, the Delta Quadrant, go all over the place, f- 
find new stuff, you know, be the brave explorers that the Starfleet is supposed to be. Or you could try to go back home, but you know the route back home is incredibly dangerous. You know the Borg are in the way. You know other, well, really, it's just the Borg. The Borg are in the way to go <laughs> that's home. Enough. Right. And that's, that's enough. enough. <laughs> um, and they don't, and they're worried that they can't get back because the Borg are in the way. Um, so are the it, Borg in the way though? I'm, I'm confused. Are they in the way? The Borg are in the way. <laughs> the Borg are in the way. Okay. So it, it got me wondering, you know, yeah, obviously it, it's difficult for us to contemplate the being on the other side of the galaxy problem. But mm-hmm. what if you were in a place where, you know, it was a very long track home and you could find a, a place to be where you are, but would you still try to get back or not? I think that's a great question. I mean, I often feel like the things that I say make me sound like I'm from another planet. So I may have an easier time <laughs> assimilating into an alien culture. Den and I know you, you know, al- you and aliens, whether they're modern or ancient, you know, you know exactly what to do in any of those situations. But I'm curious. It's a good question. What would you do, Den? The three of is it the three of us or just well? Cl- clearly, it's at least 150 people yeah. by Ben's hypothesis. <laughs> Are we three of those yeah. people? We, we've been shipwrecked, <laughs> all lost, or Voyager, or whatever, somewhere far okay. away. <laughs> Okay. And certainly the three of us, I mean, basic biology would say starting another civilization is not a choice. Um, as much as I like you guys. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair um, enough. So that's just a biology question. That's, just, you know. Just um, science. Science. But, you know, it's an, it's an interesting question. See, when you first described it, Ben, I have to admit, um, because I am somewhat conflict averse, mm-hmm. um, I, I really like the exploration option, right? Like that's presumably why I signed up to be on this ship. That's presumably why we ended up where we were. Um, Yes, I love visiting my family, but presumably I was planning to explore most of my life anyway. So that seems like the least radical change Mm. from from what my goals were. Um, So a lot depends on why did I get stranded where I was? You know, am I uh, this intrepid explorer type? Um, I'm not sure I'm an intrepid explorer. So um, if it was really about me, I'm, I'm probably really weighing the how much do I like the area I'm in versus how much do I think I'm smart and resourceful enough to get through the danger. Um, and and I, I am someone who adapts pretty easily to new situations. I've moved a lot in life. I've lived in a lot of different places. I'd be likely, I think, to go the less risky route and, and, and stay – um, unless I really didn't like the people I was with. <laughs> Jeez, did it big a choice? <laughs> Which is when, it? What Dan, is it? Dan, when You're have I ever office, made a choice on this show? <laughs> when have I ever made a choice on this show? Right? Jeez. I am sticking true to my personality here, Dan. Hedging all my bets, avoiding any choice. <laughs> oh my God. I, Dan, in 2024, I'm not voting you as the leader of this, despite the fact that you do play politics very well. So you're, you're staying there? You're starting a new civilization? I, I think that's where I'm leaning. I'm, I'm very much here. leaning to starting the new civil. If you force me to make a choice, Dan, gun po- you know, well, gunpoint, laser, gun you know, gray gunpoint. Yeah, I will get Phaser. myself elected leader Phaser. and create the ideal. I'll, I'll get myself elected leader and create the ideal civilization, and the rest of the world will be in awe and model it. It'll be called the Denon model, and the rest of humanity will live by that for all eternity. <laughs> well, I'm going to run against you. I'm just telling you that right away. I, I was thinking about being your running mate, but now I'm going to run against you. Uh, I, you know, I think these are interesting questions, right? Because do you really want to be a nomad? You know, I mean, do you really want to be just traveling 
the universe, even if you have an endless supply of food, water, power, I'm guessing in this scenario, Ben, those are all kind of taken care of, right? I mean, we'll we'll just go with the magic of the Voyager that it somehow keeps. Uh, okay, you know they, they are all they're always stopping for supplies and stuff somehow, but you know we'll we'll, yeah. we'll, let, we'll let that go. <laughs> yeah, you know I I might go I might go that route, guys, because I think if you you're on a ship, it is your home. That's what you've gotten used to. And these ships, I mean, even battleships nowadays, I mean, they're it's a complete floating city. And I think that you yeah. could, if you have a floating city and you got, you know, uh, you got the saloons, you got the brothels, you got the, the gambling <laughs> houses, you know, you got vice taken care of. Why not? You know, why not just hang out on the ship? I'm going to say go on the ship because once you commit to a planet, you could get stuck like, you know, like the Herb, the Herberus and the Terror. Am I saying that? I, I think I get that Erebus, right. yeah. Erebus, thank you. The Erebus and the Terror. You know, I don't want to be landlocked on some alien planet that's full of lava or or ice. You know, you're you're, you're really <laughs> committing to a planet. And I've got commitment issues, guys. Sure. So I, I, I get that. And I like how, Dan, you're assuming you're going to choose a lava-filled or ice-filled planet. One extreme or the other. Clearly, you, you, clearly you I will win planet, in the race against Dan. you because I will be voting for a nice <laughs> planet to live on, Dan, and people will vote for me, not you, as your campaign slogan. Vote for Dan, live in the ice or lava. <laughs> Look what happened in Hawaii. Hawaii is the most beautiful place on Earth. There's lava coming all over the place out there. It could happen yeah. even on Earth, Denon. Well, yes, it could. I, I guess I'm going to have to, you know, come home. You know, I'm glad you brought up the <laughs> Erebus home. and the terror from our most recent episode, Dan, because yeah. I think, you know, the glory of finding the, the new passage is the way is is interesting too because mm -hmm. the reality is you know in the voyager story if if they were to make it home you know at normal warp speed they would all be dead right it's going to take 70 <laughs> okay. years right you know no one on the ship except for like maybe harry kim who's like 20 uh mm -hmm. is going to still be alive by the time they get back and so there's the the interesting question there of you know they're trying to find a shortcut and so I think for us, you know, finding that shortcut could be an interesting. If you're never going to get back home anyways, you might as well try to find the shortcut rather than just exploring, you know, the exploring without trying to go home. I like that. I mean, because there are things at home, you know, Denon, you said you like your family. Um, so you do have a reason to come back. Uh, I have a reason to forge ahead. Let's visit the... <laughs> Outer galaxy. I got nothing here. I, Let's, uh, yeah, I got something here, but you know, I, I'm an explorer too, you know. Dan, I do assume part of your criteria is that they do allow you to watch movies in the movie theater with no one else there. It's my only criteria. It's what I'm running. Yeah. At. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's my. Yeah. That's my my platform. Uh, but you, you know, I think knowing your limitations, Denon, that's you got it. You got to know. You got. You, you got to know them. You got to know. And one of the things. This is something we've never talked about before. But this is something that was like that's been stuck in my brain for a long time. Uh, you know, since right around 2008, because there was this show called No Ordinary Family that was on. This is right at the time when superhero TV shows are really popular. Michael Chiklis is in it, in case you guys haven't seen it before. Uh, but in this, one of this very nerdy kid gets this superpower that he's able to really see all of geometry, trajectories, to see physics. He can instantaneously uh, calculate, but he also sees all of the, the, the projections of where everything's going. And, you know, kind of like a 3D map. Now, this helps him become 
a superstar athlete, right? Like if you know exactly where, when you throw the ball, where it's going to go, or you know exactly where you want it to be and what you need to do, how fast you need to throw it at what, you know, angle, blah, blah, blah. If you can know all of that stuff, that could make you, you know, by argument, a superstar athlete. But I always think of execution, right? Do you have what it takes to execute that? But I think knowledge is first and foremost. So as a superpower, you know, uh, what do you think, Ben? I, I know you like superpowers. I know you're not a big sports guy, but if you had this power, do you think you would suddenly want to, uh, you know, be a quarterback in the NFL? I don't think I'd want to be a quarterback because all the geometry knowledge in the world uh, doesn't help you if your uh, if your offensive line uh, fails and you get sacked. Uh, <laughs> That's true. Um, I, I think what's interesting about it is you know the the sports you're you're talking about, you know, basketball, football. These are all sports where, you know, significant uh, physical prowess is also required. And so, you know, I think it, for the fiction of this show to have worked, he not only became a geometry genius, he had to also become like a master of his, um, you know, muscle memory too, mm -hmm. to be right. able to execute exactly what he was thinking. Um, and, you know, this is true whether you're playing something really athletic like, ba you know, basketball or football where you run around and throwing and kicking all, all at once or something like, say, pool, which, right. you know, you're not generally speaking, you're not out of breath while you're playing pool. Uh, it's it's a <laughs> much more are. cerebral game <laughs> where you're you're calculating shots. But at the same time, it still has a lot of muscle memory because getting exactly the right speed um, mm -hmm. and, you know, you know, getting just the right amount of backspin on the ball so that it does what it needs to do, you know, mm -hmm. that takes a lot of still muscle skill to make that happen. And so I'm just impressed by the show because they're they're hiding his true secret power, which is the, like supreme control, muscle control. Well, it's an interesting thing. Like if you actually know everything, right, from mm -hmm. the physics point of view, what everything is required and you can do all the calculations – how much do you also then know everything you need to fire in like in your muscles? Does muscle memory come with that? Mm -hmm. I, I would argue perhaps, Ben, it is a single superpower and they're just showing the external version of it. Mm. But the internal version of knowing exactly how to predict all physics is predicting exactly what you need to do to fire the right you know, the right neurons which fire the right chemical reactions which fire the right, mm -hmm. you know, elements in your muscle so that the muscle performs exactly as it needs to to do the action you want. Yeah. So it's the same sort of predictive physics. Uh, it's Actually, it's the same idea. It's much, much more complicated, right? The predictive physics to get your muscles to do stuff is way harder than the predictive physics to get a pool ball to go into the, you know, the pocket. Right. But I do think you could argue it's, it's fundamentally the same um, the muscle memory part's fundamentally the same. I think the strength, the inherent strength and speed of the muscles might not be, which is why they're something like pool becomes much more, you know, a first first case thing you can do because you probably don't need particularly big muscles or fast muscles. You just need accurate muscles. Yeah. And then you move your way through, um, like throwing a strike in baseball is sort of similar. You just need to be accurate. Throwing a 90-mile-an-hour fastball as a strike requires both accuracy and, and muscle bulk. So mm -hmm. I think, Dan, that's where, where the, the, the trick comes in. 
execution of this of this power is the the yeah. key is what you're saying. I, I mean, it makes sense. Uh, you know, when I, when I think of this power, I would love to have it. I mean, there are certain things that I think don't require extreme physical effort, right? Like if you mm-hmm. you can throw a football. Maybe I mean you look at like Patrick Mahomes. He's he's he is a perfect example of a guy who could, looks like he's throwing effortlessly into narrow windows in coverage, which would mean you know he's trying to throw it to a wide receiver, but there's a lot of defenders trying to grab it from him. But he's able to find that little opening. These are what the great quarterbacks do. Mm-hmm. This guy, you know, with this power, you know exactly what that window is. You don't have to guess it. Yeah. You're not part of muscle memory is knowing how to throw, but you don't have to guess. It's all up here and it's instantaneous. Now mm-hmm. that to me is a is a marvelous superpower. Or you know we we got uh, the so- soccer. I don't particularly watch soccer, but USA's in the World Cup, or was not anymore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. was uh, you know spoiler alert uh, football yeah. as most people across the world know it. This I think while it does require extreme cardiovascular you know ability and kicking, you got to be strong. But if you know if you can see an opening. And you know where to kick. You don't have to kick it super hard necessarily. You just have to kick it extraordinarily accurately. And I think that that's where this power becomes key without the muscle bulk is all of a sudden the 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 uh, all of the, the thinking is gone and you just need to be extremely accurate. And that's what this power gives you. That's why I like it. Hmm. No, I think so. I, my question, Dan, and, and this maybe reveals a little bit of, of my dark side Um is is would this let me win at craps? Um, mm. Because I I think right mm. the predict if if my predictive power is that exact I mean dice are random because we can't quite predict all the physics around them right but I I don't believe um, a, a dice you know is sufficiently I'd have to think this through I don't think it's sufficiently complicated that it's a truly chaotic system I think you could know exactly when to release your dice um, and and know exactly what your throw is going to be every time um, with this power, right? right? If, if I'm doing all the calculations accurately. And it would be easy to make it look um, natural. You would just know, right, what the numbers are going to be and you could plan for the numbers and, and make sure you know you're not throwing things that look totally bizarre and, and just do very well. It, it, it's like the you know, ultimate card counting, but for, for dice. Um, uh, much harder with the roulette wheel because you don't control the release. And, and by the time the ball is released, you would know exactly what number is going to come up, but that's too late because the bets are down. So I, I think craps is the gambling game that this power gives you the most ability in. I would say that there's probably people now who can do that. Or to some, you know, there's people in the Harlem Globetrotters who can throw it behind their back from half court and make it in every time. So I'm guessing that if you practice enough, you could be pretty good without this power. I don't know. What do you think, yeah. Ben? Yeah, but if well, but if you're suspicious, they won't let you shoot. Uh, right. At craps. Mm-hmm. So and you got so, to know how to do it without yeah. any right. suspicion. Right. I, I mean, I would actually think roulette might be better. I mean, I don't you? You bet before I, the ball's put in. It's impossible. They, you bet now. Okay. You don't get like another second. Yeah. No, you're, mm-hmm. you're yeah. Craps is the only one you could maybe craps gain the system. probably the only one, but I'm yeah, guessing be, there are people very who got a technique. It'd be very difficult, you know, if you were able to do that and not um, not alert the pit boss to your skill would be pretty tough. <laughs> Just winning a lot alerts. It attracts yeah. unwanted attention. 
Yeah. Whether you're yes. throwing it normally or not. You know, we see in the movies <laughs> where everyone's like blowing the dice and hey, everyone's cheering at the table because the guy's winning. As soon as that happens, there's a guy tapping him on the shoulder and going like, you know, come with me. Uh, so yeah. it's not it's not quite the funny games of like Ocean's Eleven type of deal. But yeah, um, they're good. They're going to check that you swap the dice right away. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, so I don't know. Casinos are difficult to game for very long, or you may just be super lucky, and they may not be able to catch you on anything, but just ask that you don't play in their establishment anymore, or play other games. Uh, yeah, yeah I, they'll I send you to exactly video powers. poker where you can't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, but, you know, I think that that is, you know, it's a, that's a problem, right, Dennett? I think that's a problem that you've identified. Um, but I think finding solutions is something you were you were thinking about when you were. Oh yeah, no, totally. So, uh, you know, I was the one who kind of suggested the Doctor Who because I got addicted to the latest Doctor Who. I'm still addicted sure to did. the latest Doctor Who. Um, and and one thing I love about Doctor Who, you know, I'm I'm now uh, a high level administrator, as they said. Mm-hmm. Um, for some people, that's going to the dark side. Yep. Um, but one thing you you do um, is is you're always dealing with problems. Um, and mm. one thing I've learned about my personality is I have the natural human reaction when people say, oh, this is going wrong or there's this problem, whatever, of at least a few moments of panic. But pretty quickly, my brain is is thinking of solutions. And I think it's those few moments of panic that would kill me in a life or death situation. Right. Um, and what the doctor has is no moments of panic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's a great line with the latest doctor um, – where she talks about what she's gotten so good at is instantly analyzing all the data that's coming in mm-hmm. and formulating solutions right away. And I think that's you know the human trick to, to having every situation be solvable is the speed at which you can get the data. And the other thing she's willing to do is make the solution that removes the most immediate risk even if it creates another risk, knowing that you would then be able to solve that problem, right? Like you can't have the fear that your solution will cause other problems. So there's sort of two parts, I think, to this, is being willing to solve problem A to create problem B, which you're going to solve and and so on down the list, and having instant information flow. Um, And I think, unfortunately, that second one is what we humans lack. But mm-hmm. in an ideal world, I think we could be the problem solvers that the doctor is. That's my hypothesis here, Dan. So you think? So you're wondering if there's if there is an unsolvable problem is what you're curious about? Yeah, uh, I, and and I can connect this to Ben's Star Trek reference. There's of course Kirk's famous ability to solve the unsolvable problem. Right now, his solution was cheating, which you know I'm not advocating for. I'm just saying, but it is a solution. <laughs> it is a solution. Well, there's this interesting line in Lost where um, there, you know, one of the characters is a surgeon, and I think his father's a surgeon as well, and he makes this mistake, and he basically cuts someone so that all their nerves fly all over the place, and it's a very big problem. And so his father tells him that you can take five seconds to panic. And then that's it. That's all you give yourself. And then you get yourself together and then you complete, you know, you do it. Right. And as a line on a TV show, that sounds great. It's like, oh, yeah, give yourself that five seconds and then that's it. And then you focus. But I feel like human nature and, you know, as our resident panic expert, then you can correct me if I'm wrong here. uh, When you give yourself up to panic and I've seen this happen all the time. Uh, on in, in, in television and entertainment. If even you give yourself that moment of panic, that will send your mind down a spiral. And getting out of that 
is very difficult. So I, I'm, I zero tolerance for panic, Denon. I say it doesn't belong here. It doesn't belong in problem solving. And if you're going to do it, get off my planet, Glenn, DJ Glenn, 2024. Well, I will say one thing, and then I'm curious Ben's response to this as an engineer. Um, you know, there are moments where panic uh, in a controlled state actually is incredibly useful. Um, and I give this advice all the time to students on final exams. Now, these are well-controlled situations, Dan. Life and death is not part of it. And chosen panic can be very useful to avoid unending, continuous reflex panic, okay. right? And so if you get that exam and you look at it and you feel like you don't know anything and you're, you're about to panic, I actually, I'm very generous because, you know, an exam is typically two to three hours. I say, give yourself five minutes, five minutes of un unadulterated, pure panic, because usually the human adrenaline can't last longer than that, yeah. <laughs> right? Sure. And then you say, wait a minute, right? Like, this is an exam, and it's on a particular course. It's a finite thing. Mm -hmm. I, look, I can just go through all the six things I learned. I didn't learn much in this course. One of them will solve the exam. Sure. So now that's not a life and death. That's not a real world situation. It's a, it's a small mini universe. But I think there, I, I would disagree with you slightly. I think there can be a place for controlled panic to get it out of your system. But you are right. Humans, unfortunately, aren't good at controlled panic either and will often let it go. Now, engineers, they have to deal with all sorts of life and death situations, more so than surgeons. So, Ben, <laughs> you're clearly the expert on this. I suppose. Ben's a robot. He doesn't panic. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, I mean, you, you mentioned this, like, exam thing. I feel like I never... The only time I ever, I think, panicked in an exam was when, in like, my Calc 3 final, when uh, uh, all of a sudden we were doing calculus where everything didn't cancel out because the teachers <laughs> decided to give us an exam that was way more complex than any problem they'd ever showed us throughout the entire semester. Um, but ignoring that problem, uh, <laughs> I, I think what's interesting about the engineer is the engineer, generally speaking, has time to figure out what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. Now, there are operational engineers. There are people who, you know, when the rocket's launching, you know, the engineer obviously has to make split-second decisions about whether to abort or not abort or do something, right. you know, some sort of recovery thing. But for me, an engineer who does early-stage design on microchips, <laughs> the only panic you ever really have is, are we going to meet the deadline? Um, <laughs> never. <laughs> and so I think that's... Um, you know, it, it's this interesting step stage of, you know, what what is panic? What does it get you? Do, does it help you to get your adrenaline up a little bit to, you know, maybe think about something um, for a while? I, I find that it's almost the opposite, that you want to take everything in, but then almost think about something else. And then, you know, once your mind wanders back to the problem you really have, that's when you'll come up with the actual solution you need. Yeah, I, I got to double down on this, Den, and I, I, I'm with Ben here. I don't know that panic has ever achieved anything. You know, I mean, I think it has only cost lives. Uh, it has only cost humility. Uh, I don't know that there's ever a... Cost humility? Yeah, if you panic and you freak out, and all of a sudden people look at you and you're embarrassed because you're like, oh, yeah, I didn't need to freak out. Ah, that. okay. You know, I mean, you never freaked uh. out and people are like, what are you doing? Uh, people are asking me what I'm doing all the time, doesn't now, so I don't doesn't bother you. Yeah. <laughs> so that doesn't bother me. Yeah. Um, but I will say this: yeah. Let, let's ignore the panic for the uh, moment. Forget it. Forget it, that. I think I think it's a red herring, right? Oh, I, I don't. Think I think it's just some, crucial, Denon. But okay, let's move on. Okay, but I'm I'm not going to panic about it. Okay. Um, I'm going to go go to something else. Ben said though that I think is key. 
I one other thing I like about the Doctor Who as a model for problem solving mm-hmm. is I think the other thing that causes people problems when they're problem solving mm-hmm. is they want a particular solution. Right. Which is actually the wrong way to solve problems. Right? Right. The correct way to solve problems is to find a solution, right? And if you if you start with the solution you want and spend all your time trying to get that, you will not get the solution that you you might occasionally the solution you want is the right solution and you get lucky but often the right solution or a solution or a thing that moves you forward does not necessarily look like what you wanted at the beginning and ironically sometimes going sideways gets you back to where you wanted to be so it, it it's this openness and ben said it very well sometimes you want to momentarily think about something else and let the subconscious mm-hmm. free reign mm-hmm. to find that creative solution right. um and i think a lot of times we get locked in and we don't let our creative juices flow yeah i think that that's right i mean there's an interesting documentary called the staircase which is about a man whose wife falls down a staircase and is killed right and so the the forensic team they the whole point of the documentary is they've come up with he killed her and pushed her down the stairs. So they've mm-hmm. come to their conclusion, and now yep. they look at all the evidence in the blood splatter and they're trying to recreate that. So there's video of like you know the the forensic scientist trying to recreate what he sees <laughs> with what he has, and it's it's interesting because I think human beings, to your point, we do have some solutions in mind, and we would rather that solution than to come up yep. with what is ideal for the situation. This is why a lot of people get stuck in their belief systems because they refuse to exactly. give up their paradigm with the evidence that we are seeing versus what they want to be true, um, you know, which can be very harmful. But you know, mm-hmm. to answer your question, Denon, I'm going to answer your question. Is there an unsolvable problem? Well, before you do that, yes, Dan, you have a- it's important to realize the solution to panic Yes. And the solution to appropriately calmly thinking through a problem yes. is to have some nice hot cocoa out of your <laughs> F triple GBT mug. Oh, that's amazing. Because there is nothing like hot cocoa with some marshmallows yes. to calm the brain, get rid of panic, right. and to lead to the ideal solution. And it might be the mug that will break your unsolvable problem. But I'm, I'm waiting for it. I want to hear the unsolvable problem. But I had to let everybody know, have the calming hot cocoa in the mug. And all will be well. That makes sense. It's like meditation in a mug. I mean, I mean, the, the truth is, whether you're having tea or cocoa or coffee or whatever, just taking a drink break in general, whether it's with a delightful F- triple GBT mug or water bottle like I have here, uh, you know, taking taking that moment to step back and relax will help you maybe find a solution to your problem that you wouldn't have thought of if you just stayed fixated on it. I love that. And I think just listening to our show and and these products, you know, they, they enhance your life and they'll keep you calm. That's what we try to do. We take care of the hard stuff so you don't have to. We, we delve into the dark places uh, of the mind, but we solve it for you when we get out of it. Because we don't panic, the three of us, you know, even you, Dan, and we, you keep it under control, which, exactly. which I appreciate. Is that going to be the next t-shirt, Dan? We take care of the hard stuff so you don't have to. Yeah, that's exactly right. We take care of the hard stuff so you don't have to. Uh, but I've taken care of the hard stuff. Speaking of, Dan, and I've solved your unsolvable problem here, and I believe that the only way to have an unsolvable problem is if it breaks the fundamental laws of the universe like a perpetual motion machine, right? I mean, I think that is unsolvable by definition. 
Yes. But I would argue that other than that, everything can be solved in one form or the other. You may not like it, but it can be solved. Exactly. I'm, I'm with you, Dan. You, you are true. It is. You are true. I am true. And it is true. I am true. <laughs> <laughs> and it is true that, that you can't do things that break the laws of physics. Right. Um, and and that, that remains, you know, a, a fact of life that we all must deal with. <laughs> so I, once again, you analyzed it perfectly as the analytical mastermind. Thank you. That is, that is true. I am true. And I love being true. Ben, any final words on this, on this fifth uh, year episode? I mean, I, I think you nailed it there. You know, no matter what we do, we always must respect the laws of physics because they are they are the true immutable force of the universe. That is that is they are the king uh, and we are but its loyal subjects. Uh, but if there's anything else, you know, we've hopefully we're going to have five more years of this stuff <laughs> of this crap you left for us. Uh, we got play more in us for sure. Uh, but if you've got anything that we missed that you want us to talk about, you can always, you know, you can always send us an email questions at ftriplegbt.com. As you can see, we spent a long time answering even the toughest questions. You know, you can test us, give it a shot, but you can also reach us on social media. You can find the show on Twitter at ftriplegbtpod, Facebook at ftriplegbt. But of course, you can get in touch with us individually. Denon, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Denon Michael. You just flip my name. Um, and on Facebook, I'm at Prof Denon Michael. Just stick in the Prof. Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn, and on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And of course, if you I forgot to mention our website, ftriplegbt.com is where you can find everything, including the wonderful mugs and water bottles and a selection of, of apparel that is just perfect uh, for the holiday season. And you can wear it for the next decade to come, depending on how long we're going to be on the air. But we, depending on what you like, we got it for you there, uh, ftriplegbt.com. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, make sure to rate, review, and don't forget to subscribe. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And finally, this show contains powerful information that can be misused by those hell-bent on world domination. But as I've been saying for the past half decade, you want when you're confronted with these problems, you want to do the right thing. Always be a superhero, never a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, ftriplegbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there ftriplegbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. 
you can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio only version depending on what you like we got it for you and if you do like those videos you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well we're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn and once again if you like this show you're going to like everything that I do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening